us up, the chapter at least, not John. We've got a ways to go for that. So let's pray, and then we will jump in. Word, and I pray, Lord, that you will help us to see um, the beauty of joy that comes in a relationship with you. That whatever waves crash, have you as our anchor in the middle of the storm. So I pray react and how you spoke us as well. Help us to see it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm going to do something a little different that I don't typically do. Uh, this is a little confusing. And we all know I'm a genius. <laughs> and it's all right. I mean, that's not, I'm not really that arrogant. I'm slightly. Out of the. It's my favorite translation. It's a word for word translation. It's the one that I like to preach out of, but I felt as I was studying this week that we should spend some time in a paraphrase. Um, I the message, uh, and I think his version is more helpful for us as we try to understand what's going on in this passage. Um, Eugene Peterson was a New Testament scholar. Uh, when he was teaching at the seminary he was teaching at, he had students who were asking him to help them understand the Bible. Um, where the teachers, the rabbis, would write a targum, which is kind of like their their interpretation or their help for the scripture. So a lot of doing on Sunday mornings is they're trying to help people understand in some not crazy seminary Greek Hebrew um, breaking down of a see. And so when Peterson was doing this for his students, helping them to understand the Word of God, then they said, you should probably publish this. And so the navigators published it for him, and we have the message translation. Um, it is not a, a go-back-through translation. It is a paraphrase. It's Eugene Peterson, one dude, other translations to help us to understand. So I say all that to say, um, when, I, when you want to dig deep in the Word of God, you don't want to use the message. But when you want to sit and soak and try to fall in love with what God's saying, the message sometimes is a helpful tool. So today we're going to use this helpful tool. So I'm going to... And then we'll break it down. Verse 16. Well, I'm going to just show it to you because you're not going to get it. When you're reading, you're in a confused. So we'll just do it this way. In a day, but then in another day or so, you will see me. That stirred up a hornet's nest of questions among the disciples. What's he talking about? In a day or so, you're not going to see me, but then in another day or so, you will see me. And because I'm on the way to the Father, what is this day or so? We don't know what he is talking about. Jesus knew they were dying to ask him what he meant. So he said, are you trying to figure out among yourselves what I meant when I said in a day or so you're not going to see me, but then another day or so you will see me? Then fix this firmly in your minds. You're going to be in deep mourning while the godless world throws a party. You'll be sad, very sad, but you're sad. 
When a woman gives birth, she has a hard time. There's no getting around of the century. But when the birth, this new life in the world wipes out memory of the pain. The pain, but the coming joy is also similar. When I see you again, you'll be full of joy, and it will be a joy no one can rob from you. You'll no longer be so full of questions. This is what I Father, for whatever it whatever is in keeping with the things I've revealed to you. Ask in my name according to my will, and he'll most certainly give it to you. Your joy will be a river overflowing its banks. I've used figures of speech in telling you these things. Soon I'll drop the figures and tell you about the Father in plain language. Then you can make your request directly to him in relation to this life. I've revealed to you. Oh, sorry. Directly to him in relation to this life I've revealed to you. I won't continue making requests of the Father on your behalf. I won't need to, because you've gone out on a limb, committed yourselves to love and trust in me, believing I came directly from the Father, and the Father loves you directly. First, I left the Father and arrived in the world. Now I leave the world and travel to the Father. His disciples said, finally, you're getting... No more figures of speech. Now we know that you know everything. It all comes together in you. You won't have We've convinced, we are convinced you come from God. Jesus answered them, do you finally believe? In fact, you're about to make a run for it. Saving your own skins and abandoning me. But I'm not abandoned. The Father is with me. I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I've conquered the world. Oh, you're not supposed to see that yet. So, Judas left the upper room that the disciples are speaking. Up until this point, it's just been Jesus talking. It's been him telling them things. It's been him explaining things. It's been him speaking in, nah, maybe not. He's trying to prepare them. This is the first time in about chapter 14 to here, 13 to here, that the, the disciples are actually talking. They've just been digesting what Jesus is saying, going through, listening, 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 and now they speak. And so you get this interaction Jesus teaching, and now it's time for the disciples, the students, to ask Christ to clarify some things, but he's also preparing them. He just got done talking last week about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the helper. And the time. And now he's telling them that's where your joy comes from. That it's going to get hard. It's going to get really tough. But that depths of joy in the middle of our sorrows. So they're about the one they put their faith and trust in, have left everything behind for obligation in like traditional work settings. They've walked away from all these things. They've 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 been at the pinnacle of throwing people out of the temple and they've been at the low 
illusion, this space, and they don't really understand what's about to happen. And so Jesus is telling them, you're not going to see me, but another day or so you'll see me. <clears throat> and this is where people get a little twisted up when you look at the scholars and read in some commentaries that this is, it seems very odd death, burial, and resurrection. But there's also leading to where we sit now in the age of the church. That for 2,000 years we've not seen Jesus bodily. We've not seen him interact. Longing for him to return. We're longing for him to come back and claim his bride, the church, us. And so there's some we go through this passage, you start seeing some, some sprinklings of a far-off distance for us to examine as well. Now when he said he just said that the friend, the Holy Spirit, the help tells them, in a day or so you're not going to see me. He's already told them gospels together that he's going to die. But now it's becoming very real. It's right. Disciples speak. What's he talking about in a day or so? And he's all, oh, is that what he's saying? He's taking a trip? He's going to disappear for a while? He surely told about his 40 days in the wilderness when then he was tempted, that the angels then came and took care of him. They don't, they're not still, they're not really getting it. That he's going to buy and they are going to be in the depths of sorrow and that he's going to reappear. And then their sorrow will be turned into gladness. They'll be overjoyed. It'll all start to make sense. But the disciples are asking the questions. You say you're going to the Father. Just said that a few verses ago. You're saying that. They don't really get that he's going to die. It's not sunk into their hearts yet. They understand what he said. Going to the Father. But what about this day or so? What's he talking about? Now, we can look at this in two ways. Is Jesus hearing this murmuring amongst them? Or is he, because we see him do it later, we've seen him do it before, does he supernaturally just know what they're thinking? We've seen that happen. Um, the Pharisee at the table, we've seen these interactions where he knows people's thoughts. Um, I, I think he's right there in the room. They're not, they're not hiding this. These aren't just the thoughts, they're talking. They just had the supper. He's talking to them. They're all gathered around this room. They're at this table. As Jesus is talking, it's like they finally decided to let it all out. I'm sure you've been in those situations before, haven't you? Where someone's talking to you, explaining something to you, maybe a bit of a heated conversation with someone that you love. Those are sometimes the hardest ones to have. In the middle of hearing all the things that someone needs to tell you, you go, wait, wait, wait. I don't get it. I don't understand. This is not typical. This is not our normal conversation. And so I, 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 husband and wife, where there's things unsaid, there's things you've let go, there's things that you've, but it's a little bit like that. Like Jesus has tried to bring them along the way for three years. He's tried to show them the way. Time. 
play around, and then there's, so he's being very direct with them. The Spirit's coming, pain's coming, sorrow's going to come, but then the disciples still don't get it. They're not Jesus is. They just figure it's all going to work out. So when they start to talk, I want you to get that they're feeding off of the tension that's rising in Jesus. And we see this come to a head at the garden. And they fall asleep. Like there's, there's, a, there's a tension coming. And the disciples are like, I don't know, I don't get it. And so Jesus responds to them, are you trying to I've told you this. There's a little frustration with tenderness and love, but he's also like, I, you need to get the next few hours are going to be terrible. The next few days are going to be a disaster. But you have And they don't really until, it's, until it happens. And I think we all get that. Until there's a way where it all just kind of comes together, the tension pops, do we really get serious about what's happening? So he tells you, you're trying to figure this out? Then figure in deep mourning while the godless world throws a party. He's dead. We've seen this throughout history. As Christians are persecuted around the world, it brings a great sadness to the church. When we read the headlines, we see it happen. We hear from friends, from missionaries. It causes a sadness in us that people are dying because of their faith, that the Jesus we love has, caught, like, has led to this, that, uh, and then the world throws a party. example I've seen in, in the last couple of years is um, just how much we jump on someone when they have a failure. It's almost like as a culture we love to see people fail. Like yes, another one bit the dust. This is great. And in the church world, um, in, the, in the big mega church, whatever, publishing world, uh, see there's been a where it seems that someone comes to notoriety as a they might have some studies out and then they have a fall, they have a moral failure, something happens and then you'll hear the church, there's like this gap I've read their books I really grew around then you'll watch news articles and outlets and different places that are antagonistic towards faith will jump on the party and rejoice see, there's another one See, that Jesus guy, all these people that are leaders, see, they love it. And we do the same. When your team, loses, your team wins, the other team loses. When the person you voted for wins and the person you didn't like loses. Like it We're so ready to see someone fall from whatever place they've been. In business, in life, in politics, in service, in the church. It's like we just, and I wonder if it's a broken part of us that when we see someone succeeding or someone doing well, that it makes us feel weird about ourselves. So we just, we, we like relish in it. You're not, they're not so good. It makes us feel good. I don't know where it comes from, but it's twisted. 
And so Jesus is telling them, you're going to be sad. You're going to be so filled with sorrow. There's going to be people in the streets cheering the death of me. But in a few days, you're going to have great gladness. In a few days, that party is going to end and they're going to be terrified of what they've done. And then he gets... It's always awkward when a man describes childbirth, even if it's the creator of childbirth. But I think it's a great analogy. He says that when a woman gives birth, when the baby is born, there's a great joy in the birth. This new life in the world wipes out the memory of the pain. Now, I've, I have kids. Um, Amber will never shy away from telling you the truth about her experience. Um, but most, I would say almost every female I've ever encountered that has had the joy of being a mother is for the joy of having the child. Doesn't mean they're going to sign up for it again. that helps deal with what has just happened. And so that's what Jesus is trying to get them, a very practical example. This is not the great joy that comes from the hard thing. So he gives them a very immediate and practical example about birth. That this new life not worth it because there's new life. So he's trying to give, like, this is the second that. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. Joy comes after the pain. Joy comes after the storm has subsided. There's great joy there. And he says, when you see again, you'll be full of joy. It'll be something that no one can take from you. That kind of joy can't be taken from you after you've been through that kind of pain. And isn't that self-reflection of the times you've been in some really hard times. Work, relationship, natural calamity. And when it passes, aren't you thankful to be alive? Aren't you thankful that you weathered the storm? Aren't you filled with the kind of joy that says, I'm going to make it. I got through this. We did it. I think that's how most of us would React. We don't act. We don't say yes. But when it passes, we're refined, we have, and we put our joy where it belongs. Sometimes pain and sorrow are refining tools to help us trim away the stuff that doesn't matter and give us a focus on what does, which is Christ. So we can get through anything if we have Him. This is whatever is keeping with the things I've revealed to you. And I'll most certainly give it to you. Your joy will be a river overflowing its banks. This is what it says if you pray, the Father will respond. You'll get what you're asking. A clearer picture of this things I've revealed to you. 
It doesn't mean that you get everything you want if you just pray in Jesus' name. I would like a brand new one-ton Chevy truck in Jesus' name, give it to me tomorrow. That has nothing to do with the God. Nothing. That's just something that I'd like to own. But if I Lord, guide me. Help me. So when the people come by the yard sale, Lord, help me. Difficult to deal with or my kids ride and to guide them like those are all narratives that we're called to do as believers in God and I'm asking for help in doing those things that he's going to give us whatever we ask in his name according to his will according to his will does not mean that we're going to get everything we ask for it means that if we pray Christ-centered prayers that ask for guidance, direction, and for us to understand and to follow His will, He gives those to us. Always. It does not mean that we always get healed. It doesn't mean we always get the job. It doesn't mean we always see reconciliation in broken relationships. But it means that we labor in prayer before the Father for all of those things. And we trust I, I don't know if we'll re-sing the song. I think they have another song picked out. But I was standing there singing, standing on the promises of God, knowing what I was about to start talking about, going, that's the one. Like, take find it on iTunes, a CD, a record, whatever you got, and that resonates with how boy. You stand on the promises of God. Not on your health, not on your effort, but on his promise to love you and to take care of you through all the storms. Here's David Platt. If God contribute more toward my comfort or my mission, we talked about that our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples. So when you pray, request, Father, here's the lens in which to run them through. Is this going to contribute to my comfort or to my mission for the Lord? Praying for a brand new Chevy trucks doesn't really... I mean, I could... I mission. But the Lord is not going to honor that. I don't pray for things that lead to my comfort. I pray to things that help me in my mission of my life, all of our lives, to make much of God and help others to see the joy found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Do your prayers resonate that way? I've used figures of speech and tell you about the Father in plain language. Then you can make your request directly to Him in relation to this life. I've revealed to you. I won't continue making requests of the Father on your behalf. I won't need to. Because you've gone out on a limb, committed yourself to love and trust in me, believing I came directly from the Father. The Father loves you directly. First I left the Father and arrived in the world. Now I leave the world and travel to the Father. He's telling 
intermediary to pray to God the Father. He's telling them, take your request straight to God. He's telling them, the veil is torn. There's direct connection to God the Father. It hasn't been known by the people of God since the garden. From the fall, there has not been direct communication with God the Father. It's been through priests and intermediaries and sacrifice and the few times that he did show up, we see through the Old Testament, we see the angel of the Lord comes, we see the burning book. There's been direct communication with the people of God through the Old Testament. It's been through intermediaries. And so Jesus is saying, you don't have You talk to God directly. So they say, finally, you're giving it to us in straight talk. No more figures of speech. Now, put up with our questions anymore. We're convinced you come from God. They're excited. We get. Jesus tells them, um, "You finally believe now? Really? What am I? Chop liver is not bad. I don't even understand that phrase. I really like liver." still going to be terrified. You're still, don't take this one got it all figured out, pain's coming, sorrow's coming, and you're still going to have some problems. You're still going to be shaken to your core. You're going to abandon me. But Jesus says, the Father's with me. I've Shakeable and assured, just like I am. Deeply at peace. In this godless world, you're going to have difficulties. But I've conquered the world. He's betrayed me as Peter denies him three times. He's connected to the Father. I think this is some insight for us. Not this, but the people around you that you trust the most, the people around you that you consider friends, sometimes they're going to betray you. But you have a connection to the Father that surpasses even that friendship. We've all betrayed us, has let us down, has ran us in the dirt, but to somebody else who has, you guys have, some of your business owners, you've had people that have really been terrible for you as employees, you mentored them, took care of them, then they just bail and try to take you out as a business owner. We've all seen it. And Jesus is telling them that even in our closest of, of relationships, even as you're beginning to understand, it's going to pass. You're going to get scared, but joy's coming. And don't worry, I've conquered the world. So this life, the honor um, of being with people at the end of life here on earth. And it is a uh, it's a weight that you carry as a pastor. I get to see Jesus come alive in some of people's darkest times. And it is, I was just thinking of the last, the last, been a heaviness. There's been a lot of funerals, there's been a lot. 
And so, um, and it seems like that season's come to a close. And so then, I'm, but I'm always wait. I'm always ready for the next season to hit. And it seems like it comes that way. It'll be six months, and then it'll be six months off, and it'll be. Um, and I was just thinking about all of the the men and women in this church that I have gotten to to see and be there when they've taken their last breath, or at least been there soon before and been with families after. And I was, I could have been taken to sadness, but I was, I was really taken to joy. Like I, I remember visiting Florence Allmiller just a day before she passed. I think it was, maybe it might have been two. The family and I went over to see her, and she hugged on my kids, and she asked how we were doing, and it was just this sweet time of hanging out with Florence. She always liked to hold my hand. And it's sometimes lingering, awkward way. And I loved every moment of it. I remember Warren and I remember being in the hospital room in Fort Collins when he I, I had because he wasn't understanding exactly what the doctors were saying. Um, he was ready to jump on a plane and go to Germany and try another treatment. And the doctors were trying to convey to him that it was not possible. This was it. And it hit him like a ton of bricks. There was this wave that went over him. And then he looked me in the eye and he said, Mike, you have to help my family through this. Of course I will, Warren. And I got I breath. And there's many, many more. I just was, I was in a contemplative spirit. I had a night in the mountains alone, and I was just journaling and just thinking about the last couple months. And, and I've seen so much joy in the middle of pain. And it always, to a person, was because of a commitment to Christ and a clinging to Him no matter what. I've also had the honor of being with some families who were far from God and trying to speak hope into those moments and seeing that it just wasn't connecting. And my heart breaks for those families. They don't have an anchor of the soul named Jesus. And to see what happens in their lives and try to stay connected it's, a, it's sad for me, because I, I don't know. I try to stay, but some families don't want any more connection. Once my role is out, and then I've watched, some of you have businesses that have had some struggles, job changes, trying to figure things out, the ebb and flow of university, budgets up and down, and state stuff, and, and you've, you're able to cling to your joy. Because you know, deep at your core, whatever comes, you got Jesus. I've always worried about people that were so committed to a singular sports team, or a political candidate, or a job, or friends, 
that they put everything into those baskets. And when those baskets get tipped, they're completely shaken. Like our joy shouldn't rise and fall with who's winning sports ball games. Our joy shouldn't rise and fall with the political candidate that wins or loses. Ones about politics. I like, I taught political science. I enjoy it. But my joy doesn't rise and fall with who wins and loses. Relationships, your kids, your, are there hiccups, are there bumps, are there hard times? Of course. And I'm not trying to downplay them. But I've watched people have a rock solid confidence in God. Make it through horrific things. It's that relationship that Jesus is saying, I've overcome the world. I've conquered the world. Put your hope in me. Your joy comes from me. It doesn't come in your circumstance. It doesn't come just by chance. It's because of a joy found in him and him alone. Oh, about tripped. David Platt gives us this. What hinders our joy is our cotton candy of this world that we never get around to feasting on the rich, satisfying joy that is our Jesus. That Jesus is our all-satisfying joy. And some of you have traveled the world, and you know this. If you spend some time traveling the world, people have less accommodations, they have less um, conveniences, but you will find smiling, joyous people in the Lord all around the world. In conditions that some of us would go, oh, I would never live like that. Oh, I couldn't do that. And they will sing loud. We've experienced in the last year a pandemic that's hit the world but I don't know if you understand what malaria does around the world outside of COVID. And I don't know if you understand what around the world. What we've experienced here in the United States has been a bump compared to generations of suffering in places where people still have great joy. Great joy. When our anchor is Christ, we can make it through anything. I think part of the reason is that we have such an abundance here in our country that sometimes it's hard for us to fathom that our joy comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. It's only when our lives are impacted by sickness, sorrow, loss, lacking, that I think it resets us. Just like if you spend, um, there's a lot of research out there, if you spend three days in the woods, somewhere disconnected from social media and the texting and the phone calls, if you just spend three days in the woods, your, your brain chemistry starts to change. There's a calming. There's a, a complete difference in focus. There's 
just three days disconnected from all the stuff. They take vets on trips, they measure their brain waves, they do all this stuff, and even PTSD and very traumatic stuff starts to ebb three days disconnected. How distracted are you where you don't spend time with the Father to increase your joy? Constant information overload. Constant things to stream and watch nonstop. Maybe we should all take a bit of a fast away from all the stuff and connect to the Father. You would have an increase in your joy. I would almost guarantee it. Our joy is found in God. It's found in Him and Him alone. It's not found in anything else. And when you understand that, you can walk through any fire, knowing that if the fire consumes you, you win the prize. If you make share that joy with everyone else. God is our everything. Do you believe that? Do you know it? Do you long for that to be true in your heart? I need reminders. I need time away. Because I will start getting real full of myself. And I need to be shaken every now and then and redirected so I understand that my life isn't my own, it's his. And I joyfully serve him. Because he died for me. He made a way for me. He loves me. What else do I spend my life doing? Let's pray. In your word, and I pray, Lord, as we sing one last I pray that you would help for joy found in you and you alone. That if we keeping us from that, Help us to remove those distractions so that we can fall deeper and deeper in love with you. That we would have a relationship as the branches connected to the vine. That we would grow as we grow in our faith. Help us to do that, Lord. When we strive to have the capacity to bring others into this truth, But first, we have to be connected to you. Help us find our joy in you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.